today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Dellen Millard, my goodness, how many names is that? Uh, how many times has that name been mentioned on this radio station over the years? Uh, found guilty of murder for a third time. Uh, this in regard to the death of his father, originally thought to be a suicide, of course. Uh, also charged and convicted in the deaths of Tim Bosma and Laura Babcock. To talk more about all of this, Alex Pearson is with us, host of On Point with Alex Pearson on the Global News uh, Radio Network, and of course covered this uh, the Tim Bosma case extensively uh, for us uh, during the trial. Alex Pearson is with us now. Alex, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Always. My pleasure. Any surprises here? I mean, this case certainly did not get the attention that the other two have or did. No, it, it is the one story that we literally could not talk about at all. And um, that's because the story was basically told backwards. And that, that was one of the big complexities of everything to do. Valid point, the, eh? It was. Yeah. It was a story told backwards. It literally was. And it was, it was one of the more challenging, um, just putting the emotion aside on this trial and, and, you know, what everyone went through as far as the Bosma family and the Babcock family. It, the, the technical difficulties um, of reporting this particular case from the start to the stop was more difficult, I think, than most because there were so many publication bans. Even just walking into the Tim Bosma trial, it was like, how do you tell the story without compromising the case, but at the same time being able to give the depth and gravity of what we're dealing with? And while it's kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we all kind of know, there were a lot of details simply that did not get out about Wayne Mallard until it was, in fact, his trial. So I was not surprised by the verdict. I would have been absolutely floored had it gone any other way. But it was a just um, uh, conviction. And um, he's now a serial killer who will hopefully go away forever and give these families some peace, including that of Wayne Millard, because there are a number of people in that family grieving uh, not just the loss of of the father of Della Millard, but the family really has been shattered completely by this. Yeah, you know, you know, the the, the families uh, spoke yesterday. I guess both yeah. the the Bosman Babcock families were were uh, at this mm-hmm. uh, uh, proceedings. That being said, you can't help but ask yourself, my goodness, if this had been found out initially, this mm-hmm. other two victims would still be alive. Well, Laura Babcock would not be alive. However, uh, because you know, remember. She died in July. Oh, that's right. She Sorry. died in yeah. November. I Correct. know, yeah. and it yeah. happens because you kind of think the. No, she died. She was just kind of the first of this, and it right. is throw kill, and that's what makes mm-hmm. this case so unique. Is that it is a throw kill. You don't normally see this kind of thing in Canada, where a couple of guys go out and decide that they want to steal, drink, party, and kill, and that's essentially what they wanted to do. But Laura goes missing. That thing is totally blown off because the police dropped the ball on the investigation. Then Mister Millard is killed, and again a botched investigation because had they actually looked into that and done a little bit more digging and there was plenty of digging to be done, we could very well uh, have Tim Bosma home with his family today. We would probably not even know who Tim Bosma was because he'd be just an average everyday person living his life. So you're right to suggest that. And I do believe, and I think it should come out, out of this, that there should be an inquiry. Who dropped the ball? The police in Hamilton did a very stellar investigation in the sense that they instinctively knew as soon as Tim Bosma went missing, something was wrong. And they didn't wait. They just acted immediately. And, of course, as we saw the Tim Bosma case unravel in the days to come, it became very clear that there were other parts to the story. But why didn't the Toronto police investigate them further? And if they, I mean, they may have done everything by the book. 
But we already know that there were certain things that didn't happen after Wayne Millard died as far as autopsies, as far as homicides showing up at certain cases and, and points. And again, we know with the Laura Babcock situation, Scott, there were so many red flags. Her own boyfriend kind of slash friend yeah. had gone to police saying, you've got to look at this guy, Dylan Millard. You have to look at him. And they completely ignored it. And they ignored her because, again, when young women go missing, they don't tend to take that very seriously. But when young women go missing who are partiers or maybe in the escort business, as was being reported, you know, they didn't really kind of act with um, the same urgency. But had they, would we be in a different situation than we are today? I think those questions deserve to be answered. So what happens now? Will there be some sort of inquiry into this? I mean, what about the families? What sort of recourse do they have? I mean, talking lawsuit here? I mean, well, what, what could happen? Well, there are lawsuits right now. And, and the other thing, and I think this is also important, which uh, you remind me, is that now that he is convicted, uh, where does that estate go? Because, of course, um, he does not get the estate of Wayne Millard. Remember, he wanted that estate. That's why he killed his father, was so that he could get the money. I mean, his poor father wanted his son to have everything, but he did want him to do a little bit of work. So he was trying to solidify the company so that he could pass this aviation uh, chapter on to his son. But his son didn't want to work. He was a loser. He wanted to party and be the Pied Piper to all these loser friends that he had. And so it was easier to get rid of Wayne Millard by killing him, taking his money, and then living out your life you know, that way. And so what happens with the estate? So there are a couple of lawsuits that will probably come against the state, but he's not going to get that estate. So I'm not sure what happens. Any more on Millard's family, his mother specifically in all of this? Nope. She's never been seen. She has never shown up. She didn't show up to any of the court proceedings. Um, And she has kind of just been this character in this big story. Big loss for her, no question. I mean, a lot of people have asked, you know, what role did she play, if any? Um, You know, did she cover up anything? I mean, there will always be questions about, you know, what did she know, if anything? Um, And again, I think what was more poignant, the poignant thing that Mr. Babcock said, and I think it bears uh, repeating, all those people that surrounded themselves in this, whether it was Christine Nugda, uh, any of the friends that... um, you know, Andrew Michelski, any of these losers that were part of this party and knew that they were part of something wrong and they knew that something was going on and they knew bad behavior was, none of them did anything to stop it. And uh, they ought to live with that and remember that every time they look in the mirror. And he's right, because they could have spoken up at any time and they did not. And they ought to live with that now. Are you surprised even through all three of these trials, we haven't heard more from the mother? Mm, No. I mean, why, what would be the what would be the upside of her showing up to court? Background, some sort of by, background, some sort of history into you know insight into this family. No. Yeah, no. Look, I've I've called around. I've tried to get interviews with um, uh, a number of, of people from uh, Wayne Millard's side of the family, uh, her side of the family, but they don't want to talk. And I get the sense that they just want to put this behind them because remember, she's lost her son. It's been very, I mean, she's the mother of a, of a serial killer. I mean, there's, there's going to be empathy yeah. towards her for that. But uh, again, um, she's not going to be doing anything public, I don't think, ever. W- what's in it for her? What is in it for her? And she would also have to, I think, answer a lot of questions. You know, where, who took care of the money while, Mr., uh, while your son was in jail? Or, you know, she doesn't want to answer questions. Why would you wipe fingerprints off of the, you know, the trailer in your in your driveway. There's so many things she would have to answer for. Um, and I don't really know what happens from here. And I'm going to look into it. Uh, but yeah, what happens to the state 
now that Dylan Millard. Yeah, so those are questions that are still unanswered. What does happen? They're important though because there are lawsuits outstanding by the victim's family um, against the estate, and you know, so those questions have to be answered. And the other question would be the inquiry, and I do think that that is a worthwhile. Uh, pursuit. Not that I'm a big fan of inquiries because they often don't yield anything, but I do think it's important that we discuss what investigative, um, you know, tools were dropped. Were they dropped by the Toronto Police that could have possibly saved the life uh, of a young man in Ancaster? What about lawsuits against the police for this? For not again, doing for not doing that thorough investigation? You're talking well, again, about lawsuits yeah. against the estate, but are police negligent that, here? Uh, I don't know uh, unless you actually have that kind of investigation. Um, and I can certainly uh, ask the, you know, it's a good question for the uh, Attorney General. Uh, maybe Ms. Mulrooney will comment on it. But yeah, it, it's worth asking, you know, what can we learn from this? Because there's a lot to be learned from this. It was just all, there were so many yeah. warnings, you know, and it's so frustrating when you hear about it um, as to it could have all been avoided. So is this it for Dylan Millard? Uh, I heard reports he's not a suspect in any other killings or anything of this nature. Is this it for him? Is he is he ran out of all of his uh, opportunity? Well, he'll he'll appeal. I mean, automatically he'll appeal, and and yeah. I'm sure you know because he is a narcissist and everything's about him. He'll continue to try to just make the focus on him. And and the the thing is though, um, the family has to deal with this. Every time he makes a noise or files a complaint or maybe he wants to move around jails or maybe he'll, you know, they're the ones who have to deal with this. They're the ones who have to be in constant contact with corrections of, you know, where is he now? What, what, like they have to be a part of this. It doesn't just end for the Bosma family or the Babcock family if they want justice. And we're seeing this in a story that's playing out just uh down the road in, in London, where Tory Stafford's killer yeah. is now in a minimum security facility. Why do these families constantly have to make sure that these people are in, you know, uh, the areas that they should be? Um, and that's, the, you know, that's the cards that have been dealt to them. All right, let's talk about the Tory Stafford yeah. case here. Uh, tell everybody what you're talking about and what has happened to uh, the accused here, the convicted. Yeah, so Tory Stafford, who you all would know, is yeah. a little eight-year-old girl, uh, kidnapped, raped, murdered by both Terrilyn McClintock and her, her then-boyfriend. Um, you know, terrible case. She has been moved to a native healing center. It's a minimum corrections facility in Saskatchewan. The family of Tori Stafford um, just found out about it after the fact. But again, it begs the question. And, and Scott, I covered the plea deal with McClintock, and I covered Michael Rafferty's trial as well. So I know every detail about what happened to Tory Stafford. And I can't, you cannot repeat what happened because it is that haunting. Yeah. So to hear that she is in a minimum security facility begs the question, what the hell is going on with our justice system in this country where a child killer can live in a minimum security uh, facility after just a few years of killing a child and she's living a good life in a minimum security. It just begs the question, at what point do the, do the scales of justice tip to a balance at least for the people left behind? You know, it's just very, very frustrating. Why wasn't this brought to anyone's attention? Well, because there's privacy rules in this country and Corrections Canada hides behind these privacy laws all the time. So the privacy of McClintock is protected and it just, they do, corrections does have to notify the family, but it is not until after the decisions are made. And yeah, frankly, that's... I'd like to know, what was the decision? What did she do to earn a minimum security facility? Because she did beat up, remember, she beat up someone in jail quite badly yeah, yeah. Uh, two years after. 
um, she was found guilty of killing Tori Stafford. So what is it exactly about this child killer? And I know she's a severely broken woman. She had a hard life herself. Yeah. But I again, she was a willing participant in luring and killing that child. And she does not deserve to be in the facility she's in. And again, why does her parents, why does this, why does this family have to fight to make sure that she is kept where she belongs, which is in maximum security? It, it happens all the time in this country, and it shouldn't. What can the family do now about this? Has this decision been made? Is this set in stone oh, now? Well, yeah. I mean, look, I don't think they ever kind of think it's going to come out. But now that the family, and because they're more of a higher profile family, I mean, they'll get some attention. He's planning a protest in November uh, on November 2nd at Parliament because it is a federal jurisdiction. And the province, uh, Premier Ford, his government's going to write a letter to the federal government urging them to make changes. Um, because this, this is not okay. I mean, if you, it, it's bad enough in this country, Scott, that we don't even actually give out life sentences. Twenty-five. I mean, if you can't ask someone who killed a child to say 20, what, 25 years in a maximum security facility, I'm sorry, there's something wrong with you. Um, she doesn't deserve what she's getting, and um, not after what I heard. So, again, the family will fight. Maybe enough noise will be made, and maybe the federal government will be kind of uh, pushed to, to make some changes. What? Why wait till November? Why is this? Why is? Why are they not on this now? Why are they not making a stink about this now? Well, they are. I mean, look. I mean, the story just came out, right. and and Rodney will be on my show tonight. Um, you know, I've gotten to know him over the years uh, covering this case since her disappearance, um, because it takes it, it. It's his time. It's his money. You know, he's going to get the buses. They're going to tr- you know ship people. Right. He's had to make his life about this. Find you know fighting for justice, and we see this so often. We saw it with the Bosma family where. They use their time, their heart, their organizational skills, and, and their, their um, generosity to help others. And so what they're doing is using their time and their experience to help other victims of violent crime. Again, it's always the victims of these cases that are fighting for the change that should already be put in place by the politicians we elect. Hmm. Alex Pearson has been with us, host of Unpoint with Alex Pearson, of course, on the Global News Radio Network. You'll hear it tonight right here on CHML. Alex, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Cheers, Scotty. Have a good day. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.